I'd like to focus this morning on verse 8, just for a few seconds. I like the way the King James Version says it. It says, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. I don't know about you, but I know some works of the devil that need to be destroyed. And that's why Jesus came, that he might utterly destroy, demolish, put away with the works of the enemy. Everybody say, destroy the works of the devil. Say it again, destroy the works of the devil. One more time, destroy the works of the devil. That is why Jesus came. That's why the Son of Man was made manifest, that he might literally destroy, demolish, tear down, set people free from the works of the devil. What are the works of the devil? Well, John 10.10 tells us why he came. John 10.10 says that, The thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's why Satan came. That's always his purpose statement. When he goes into his office on the back wall on his logo, it says steal, kill, and destroy. He has not changed his plan. He has not changed his purpose. He has not changed his mission from the beginning. From the beginning, he's been a liar. From the beginning, he's been trying to deceive people. From the beginning, he's been stealing, killing, and destroying. We could go on and on about the works of the devil. Because he tries to steal away. I just jotted down a few of the things that he tries to do. He tries to steal away the word of God when it's preached and when it's declared in your lives. He tries to steal that away. He tries to cause confusion and division in people's lives. He tries to create doubt and unbelief. He likes to stir up resentments. And strife within families and within relationships and in the body of Christ. Satan feeds your unforgiveness. You get a little bit of unforgiveness in your heart and he just begins to put miracle grow on it. He loves to distract people with the cares of this life. He loves to afflict God's people with sickness and disease. He loves to incite rebellion. To seduce believers with sin. He loves to ensnare them with their own lust and their own greed. He loves it when you violate God's laws. Every one of God's laws he opposes. I want to talk to you with you for a few moments about why Jesus came. We talked about Satan's purposes, why Jesus came, why he appeared, why he was made manifest. He came, I want to say it again, to destroy the works of the devil. The word that's used for destroy carries with it the idea. I thought it would be a stamp it out or something. The word carries with it the idea of to loose, to break, to unloose, to destroy, to melt off. To loose any person or thing that's tied or fastened. I want you to hear me today. Jesus came to loose To break off every single work of the devil off of your life. He came to set captives free. He came to deliver people who are in bondage. He came to break the chains off of people's lives. That's his purpose for coming. The devil's a liar. And he uses lies and deceptions 
to pull you and I away from God's plan for our lives, to pull mankind, to distract us, to confuse us, to cause doubt to rise in our hearts, and to pull us away from God's plan for our lives. According to Scripture, Lucifer was a created being. He was made beautiful, perfect. According to Ezekiel 28, he was the anointed cherubim that covereth. But then iniquity was found in him. And in his pride and his arrogance, he set himself up against God. He rebelled against God. Now I'm going to tell you, God doesn't put up with garbage in his house. I don't know if you put up with it in your house. Some of you have made room for the devil in your house. You've opened the door for him. God did not do that. Whenever that rebellion and that pride, when that was found in Satan's heart, what did God do? He cast him out. He kicked his butt out. Did you see that? I've been doing P90X, hey. You know? I mean, he kicked his butt out. I mean, he sent him, pow, you are out of here. He did not put up with it. He wasn't patient with it. He didn't allow it. He said, you can't do that here. I will not accept that here. And a third of the angels were cast down with him, the scripture tells us. That was round one. Everybody say round one. That was round one. He kicked him out. You see that? Round number one, God kicked him out. Satan wanted to puff up his chest against him. Satan wanted to rebel and get all arrogant and prideful. And God said, I'm not having any of that. He cast him down. Round number one. I want you to know a few more things about the devil. While he is a powerful foe, he is not all powerful. There is one who is omnipotent. There is one who holds the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And his name is Jesus. My friend, he is the one who's for you. He is not against you. He is the one who lives inside of you by his spirit. When you were born again, Jesus came and set up residence in your heart and in your life. He sits on the throne of your heart. He will not peacefully coexist with the enemy of your soul. I want you to hear that. The Spirit of God will not peacefully coexist with the enemy of your soul. Whenever the Spirit of God comes in, the enemy has to flee. When you invite Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life, Jesus does not roommates with Satan. He does not hang out with him. He doesn't, well, hey, you take this part of the room, I'll take over here. You got top bunk, you got bottom bunk. He doesn't do that. Satan is not omniscient. He's not all-knowing, nor is he omnipresent. Friends, he is a created being whose destiny, I want you to hear me, his destiny has already been established. It's already been settled. His destiny has already been foretold. Jesus defeated him on the cross. Friend, that was round two. And he won the victory for you and I. He purchased us with his blood and he redeemed our lives from destruction. What awaits Satan is a lake of fire. But until that judgment is carried out, he is doing all that he can to fulfill his purpose. Steal kill, and destroy. That's why Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, 
as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Did you hear what the word says? It says resist him. The Bible tells us to submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. A lot of people just want to resist the devil, but they don't want to submit themselves to God. There's a whole process here. The first process is you and I submitting yourselves to God. Some people are trying to resist the devil in their own strength, but they haven't submitted themselves to God, and they wonder why they keep getting their behinds kicked. They wonder why another bite keeps coming out of them. Well, because they've not followed the full counsel of God's word, and they're trying to resist the devil in their own strength or in their own willpower. And to be honest with you, you, that doesn't work. It starts with submitting yourselves, therefore, unto God. Yielding yourself to his lordship. Yielding yourself to his authority. He is on the throne of your life. So submit yourselves, your whole being, unto him. When you do that, you can be sure that the devil will flee from you. Don't give in to him. The scripture tells us not to give the devil a what? A foothold in our lives. Don't make room for him in your life. Now let's look back at our text in 1 John chapter 3. It says this, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that's what we are. Look to the person next to you and say, that's what I am. Say, I'm a child of God. I've been bought by His blood. I've been adopted into His family. I belong to Him. Friend, you are a child of God. You need to understand it. That's who you are. That's who you belong to. You have all of the rights and the privileges that come with sonship because you have been purchased with the blood of Jesus. You've been redeemed by his blood. It goes on to say the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear children, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. Underline that one in your Bible if you underline. What we will be has not yet been made known. But we know when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That should bring goosebumps to you. That should bring those goose pimples. I don't know if they're Holy Ghost goose pimples, but that should bring that to you. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. For those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we already are the children of God. We are loved and we are accepted by the Father in Christ. Though the world does not recognize us as such, we look for the visible manifestation of our sonship, which has not yet taken place. Notice what it says. What we will be has not yet been made known. There's an aspect But then it goes on, but when he appears, we're going to be like him. There is a glory that God is bringing to your life that is not yet visible. I want you to hear that. There is a glory that is coming into your life that is not yet visible. I thank God for what he's done in my life and in yours. I thank God for how he's changed you and how he's changed me. 
But friend, there's a greater glory that is yet to come. There's a greater manifestation. There is a glory of God that is yet to be revealed in our lives. It's amazing to see the transformation in people's lives as God changes them and changes their desires and changes their heart. But there's a greater glory that is yet to come, that is yet to be revealed. And it says this, everyone who has this hope purifies himself. Because of this glorious hope, we sanctify ourselves. Remember a few weeks ago when I preached about sanctify yourself. We sanctify ourselves. We devote ourselves. We set ourselves apart for God's holy purposes. Why? Because I am a child of God. Because I already am. Because of the glory that awaits me. Because of the plans that God has for us. We continually set ourselves apart more and more unto God. We continue to devote ourselves more and more. And you know what? There's areas of our lives where we say, well, pastor, I I see these inadequacies. Friends, God is at work in your life. You keep submitting yourself to him. You keep yielding yourself to him. And it says, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared. So that he might take away our sin. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. According to John, for the believer, sin is abnormal and unnatural. His whole bent of life is away from sin. My elbow will bend backwards. Do you know that? My elbow, you can bend it backwards, but it's not made to bend backwards. My knee will go backwards as well. It's not designed to go backwards. If I put enough force on it, if we put enough pressure on it, it will go backwards. You can sin since you've been born again. That's not the natural life. That's not your natural bent anymore your natural bent since jesus is on the throne of your life he's changed your nature that's why when you start to do something you feel that ooh, that nudging of the holy spirit in your life that's just proof sometimes this verse can really condemn us or confuse us because we say well pastor i kind of messed up yesterday so does this mean i don't love jesus i would encourage you to read all of the book of first john because talks about if we say we have no sin we're a liar and the truth is not in us and then earlier it says but if we confess our sins he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness here's the reality of this the believer who lives in or abides in christ cannot be comfortable practicing sin It used to be that you could say or do those things that were against God and feel nothing no longer. Now the moment you even start to violate God's law, the spirit of Christ that dwells inside you begins to rise up. Sin is not compatible with who you are as a child of God. The one who lives inside of you, listen to me, the one who lives inside of you is opposed to sin. The one who has set up His dwelling in your heart, on the throne of your heart. He opposes sin. He will not tolerate it. And he, the one who lives inside of you, is greater. He's the greater one. Greater is he 
who lives in me, in you, than he that's in the world. And so the Spirit of God that lives inside of you is greater than any opposition or any power of darkness. When God's life takes root in the human personality, the Scripture said, we'll read it in just a minute, that his seed remains in him. The life of God that lives inside of you struggles against sin. And the Spirit nudges and prods us in a new direction. I'm asking you to cooperate with Jesus as he's destroying the works of the devil. Our message today is really to bring you down to this point. That you would simply cooperate with Jesus because he was made manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil in the world, in our nation, but also in our day-to-day lives. That's why Jesus came. That he might destroy the works of the devil. And I'm asking you that you simply cooperate with him as he does that. Now listen to the next verse. Dear children... Do not, verse 7, do not let anyone lead you astray. So obviously there's some teaching, there's some deception that's coming into the church. The people have believed some things or heard some things and they're questioning. And so he says, don't let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason... The Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he's been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. So this idea of obedience and love... First John talks about obedience to the word, obedience to God's commands, living out God's commands. Notice what he says about being led astray. Don't let anyone deceive you. There's those who will say that since we live in a dispensation of grace, and because we're saved by grace through faith, we don't need to be concerned with how we live, because faith alone is necessary for salvation. One author writes, it's important not to misunderstand here. John does not suggest that relationship with God is established by obedience. Rather, that relationship is demonstrated by obedience. We've been justified by faith in what Jesus Christ has already done for us upon the cross. We've been made righteous by his sacrifice, by Christ. So as a result... We live and act accordingly. We live and act accordingly because of the life that he has lived in and through us. The Christian still experiences genuine struggle with the flesh and overcomes its impulses only by the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't do it by willpower. We don't do it by gritting our teeth. We don't do it by the works of the flesh. I want to remind you why Jesus came. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. I'm going to add another portion of scripture. Romans chapter 8, 12 and 13. Now, I want to tell you what's happening in people's lives. When you've been born again, Jesus came and made his residence inside of you. Round number one, Satan rebelled against God, puffed up his chest, 
God kicked his butt out. Round number one. Round number two, Satan thought he'd won the victory when he inspired people with such hatred to kill Jesus. But on the third day, after suffering for your sin and mine, after paying the full price of redemption, on the third day, Jesus rose from the grave, victorious, and he held the keys. Satan had a, he had a rightful, had a right because of the fall of Adam, because of, of Adam's sin, he had a right, uh, I guess the word judiciously, he had a right because man rebelled against God and because of his sin, he had a right to bring death. It's the consequences, it's nature, it's God's justice. But round number two, Jesus kicked Satan's butt again. We know in the final round, it's already been foretold, that Satan's going to be bound, the false prophets, and they're going to be cast into the lake of fire, totally defeated, totally humiliated. But we're still in the middle of the fight, my friend. You and I are still in the middle of this battle. You can still take some pretty good shots. We're still in the middle of this. And the battle is for your soul and for mine. It's for your children and mine. It's for God's glory. And as we're in the middle of this battle, I'm going to tell you why Jesus came. He came to destroy the works of the devil. He wants to break off every chain upon your life. He wants to loose every rope that holds you. He wants to destroy every addiction. He wants to destroy bitterness and anger and resentment and fear and unforgiveness and sickness and disease. I'm telling you, you just stay out of his way, he'll do it. But what happens so many times, I want you I want to read a portion of scripture to you. Romans 8, 12 through 13. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if we live by the sinful nature, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you'll live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you do not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. But you receive the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If we indeed share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. Right now, we're in a little bit of the suffering. Right now, we're in a little bit of the struggle. And what I see is that God's trying to put to death. And he tells us, put to death whatever belongs to the sinful nature. Can I tell you what some people are doing? God's trying to destroy it and you start breathing life back into it. I want you to hear me what's happening. God's putting to death. He's killing some things in your life and in mine. He's destroying some of the fear and the lies of the enemy. He's destroying it. But what happens is when you give in to your flesh, you start doing CPR on the devil in your life. Keep pumping. Keep pumping it. You should be tired by now, some of you. We start breathing life back into those things that God is putting to death. When you give in to the resentment, when you give in to the anger, 
When you give in to the bitterness, when you give in to the lust, when you give in to the pride, what do you do? (laughs) Breathe, breathe, breathe. I need you living in my life. You don't need them living in your life. But again and again, the people of God are mistaken and they start breathing life back into the things that God's trying to put to death. Put to death whatever belongs to the sinful nature. So all I'm asking you to do today is you cooperate with Jesus. You cooperate with him because he's killing it. He's killing it in your life. He's destroying it in your life. All you have to do is follow his word and listen to him and it will die in your life. It will die so long as you don't keep breathing back into it. It'll lose its power over you. One description of the word is it'll melt off. Its control will melt off of your life. Its effect will melt off of your life every time you yield yourself to the Holy Spirit. I got a word for you today. The Lord is destroying He's putting to death. I believe this with all my heart. He's putting to death what belongs to the sinful nature in your life. He's destroying some things. They're going to lose their power. They're going to lose their hold over your life. So long as you quit breathing life back into them, you stop. You agree with God and you let him take his rightful place in your life. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray in this moment as we have prayed that everything that needs to be unloosed, be unloosed in Jesus' name. Everything that needs to melt, that it melt like wax at the name of Jesus. Every habit lose its power. Every thought be taken captive to the obedience of of Jesus Christ. Lord, I don't have to beg. I don't have to plead. I'm a child of God. My friends are children of God. All we have to do is ask and we will receive. To seek and we will find. To knock and the door will be opened unto us. And so I thank you that from this moment on, the Spirit of Christ is going to become greater and greater and greater and greater and greater. The battles are going to become less and less because Jesus is winning the victory and he's already done it in our lives. And I thank you for that in Jesus' holy name. Thank you that you came to destroy the works of the devil. You've already beat him, Lord. You've already defeated him. And I thank you that the manifestation of that is going to be revealed in our lives. And we give you praise and thanks for it in Jesus' name.